together. Thanks for uh, coming to this session. The Christian's response to poverty, how to help without hurting. And the, the second part of that is really the tough part. We'll be spending uh, a lot of time talking about that. The class is going to be taught by uh, Jeff Benny and Rebecca Benny. Uh, and there'll be some, a few guests along the way. Uh, it's uh, very appropriate to have a physician uh, teaching this. Uh, I think you, there's something called a Hippocratic Oath. Uh, Sometimes, yeah. Something along those lines that's uh, really kind of oversimplified as most of us think about it. But if, kinda, if you're a doctor, you've got to think about how do I help without hurting. And this is a, this whole area, when you think about uh, how to help without actually hurting. It's real simple when you start and then you dig layers of it. And it's it's whether you're kind of driving by and seeing the person selling papers on the side of the road, uh, or whether it is uh, one of the ministries we have here at church, or I must confess, uh, for us, it's how we deal with our children. Uh, and we struggle with, are we healthy? Or are we hurting? And I, I don't, I confess, I don't know the answers to that. So we're going to dig into a lot of these topics as we as we go through it. One of the other real questions that we have to uh, ask is what's poverty? And we, we think about uh, material things generally, but it's much broader than that. And in a sense, all of us experience uh, poverty. So I, my role is to... Uh, Harry, Jeff, and Rebecca's luggage. That's what I'm here for. So I'm, I'm going to kind of kick things off and get them rolling, and they will, uh, uh, they'll be doing the, the teaching. Uh, we do have some uh, family news I'm going to share with you, and we'll have a prayer, and then we'll get started. Just one moment. Uh, and that somehow on Easter Sunday, it doesn't seem right to start with this announcement. There's, but there's a marshmallow roast. Uh, for the Otter Creek Singles, they'll be on April the 1st at 7 p.m. at the Pavilion. There's also a wedding shower uh, for Jenna Anthony next Sunday, April the 3rd at 1 p.m. in the gathering room. Uh, in terms of our family prayer concerns, David King, the passing of his father, Donald King, and then Darlene Jordan fell on Tuesday and broke her right wrist. Uh, there's a there is a epidemic of broken wrists, and including my wife. If you're if you're aware of that, and I'm not sure what the odds are. We were actually talking about starting the class by calculating the odds. If you were in first service of the person who was in Boston, and then in Barcelona, in Spain, and then in Brussels, and the odds of being that was that's that's all the stuff. Sorry, I digress. Can you imagine that? That is, that is, uh, that's amazing odds. And then praise for new babies, uh, Ruby Claire Newton, born March the 22nd. Uh, proud grandmother is, uh, is Nancy Morrison. Let's pray and then, uh, then we'll get started. Dear God, we uh, come before you this morning and uh, thank you for Jesus, thank you for the resurrection praise you and giving you all the glory. We pray that you will bless this class, humble each one of us as we approach this topic. We are so blessed in many ways, but uh, we really confess we are also in poverty in so many ways. And we just pray that uh, 
that you will provide us uh, insight through the Spirit into your will for us as we live our lives, as we minister to uh, each other and minister to our needs. I pray that you'll bless Jeff and Rebecca this morning as as they teach and and lead us through these sessions. Watch over each one of us and give us good days in Jesus' name. If you do not know the Bennies, and Jane is uh, sitting here, and they were at Otter Creek a long time ago. It goes back to the old building. Mm-hmm. Very involved, very uh, much uh, involved in Otter Creek. And then I left with some of us to go down and plant Harpeth Community Church, and were there a number of years, and then have been at uh, Fellowship Bible, and then back here, uh, what now, two years? Yeah, a year and a half. year and a half, uh, back to Otter Creek. Um, they spend a lot of time on medical missions. In fact, in the middle of this class, Jeff and Jade will be going on a, a medical mission. This is to Guatemala. To Guatemala. And, uh, so uh, when you hear a teacher teach about something that they have read in a book, that's one thing. But someone who really practices it, that is uh, another thing. And it's, uh, uh, it really has a lot of uh, lot of impact. I'm here to learn uh, with you and really looking forward to the class. So turn it over to you. All right. Thanks, Phil. Rebecca's going to pass out a, uh, or pass around a sign-up sheet for your email. If you've all been in Otter Creek classes, you know that we do this the first of every time. And then you'll get email reminders that we're meeting or if we want to send something out about what the topic is coming up. Uh, so Rebecca will pass that out. Uh, we're talking about Christian's response to poverty, how to help without hurting. Uh, th- this is a squishy topic. Uh, you know, I, by training, I'm a physics, biophysics uh, undergrad. I'm a doctor. I don't deal with squishy a lot. Uh, I'm very numbers driven. Uh, Poverty is a very squishy topic because it's how do you define it? Where is it at? Who's in poverty? Who's not in poverty? Uh, and also depends on your, uh, your worldview on defining who's poverty or not. Uh, Rebecca helped me with these, class, these slides because I'm a little, she's much more uh, better at communication than I am. Uh, what is poverty? That's this week. Uh, then we're talk about uh, how to structure poverty eradication. Uh, part three is what's the Bible says about poverty and wealth. Uh, number f- part four is common pitfalls in Christian charity work and how to avoid them. And then in the middle of all this, we're going to have some guest speakers uh, from some ministries that work with Otter Creek. And you can take kind of the structure that we're going to talk about and see how those fit in or out of that structure. Uh, if you're an A student and you want to read uh, the three background books to hear, uh, When Helping Hurts by Brian uh, Feichert, Toxic Charity, How Churches and Charities Hurt Those They Help by Robert Lupton, and then if you really want to get technical, uh, When Healthcare Hurts by Greg Seeger. Uh, Unless you're a physician or in healthcare, don't read that book. Uh, He talks about how do you set up in the third world uh, mission uh, medical missions and ha- and how do you not hurt people when you set those up? Uh, this is the this is the best one of the two. Although Brian Feichert will tell you that he was heavily influenced by Robert Lupton. Uh, Robert uh, actually 
still runs a charity, a very large charity in Atlanta that does community uh, rebuilding. Uh, the teachers, uh, you know, like everything else, you always have to give your, uh, you know, if we were Jewish, we'd say who our parents were and who our grandparents were. We're Church of Christ, so you have to say, where did I study? Uh, me, BS David Lipscomb College, it wasn't a university when I was there. Uh, MD Washington University, St. Louis, American Board of Anesthesia. I was here at Otter Creek for six years and now back. Phil Gibbs also a college when he was there. Uh, and just so you know that he, he's a true southerner and a northerner at the same time, Auburn University Masters and THE Ohio State University for his PhD. Uh, he's been here for lots of years, an elder uh, MCC chairman at one point or the other. And in fact, I think we may be responsible for the MCC, weren't we? Long, long time ago, there wasn't one and some of us kind of put one together and so if you like it or hate it, we either like us or don't like us. And Rebecca Benny, my daughter, our third teacher, BS Lipscomb University, uh, JD University of Texas, go Longhorns, and uh, most importantly, Otter Creek Preschool, 1991 to 1995. <laughs> so, so she has the genetics to be here. Uh, and obviously the same Otter Creek as me because she was living with us at the time. Uh, <clears throat> And just, and Phil says, and some people say, why is the doctor talking about poverty? Uh, by semi-accident, I got involved in overseas medical missions, which are actually uh, poverty eradication in third world. Uh, it started with a phone call I had from one of my professors when I moved back here from finishing residency. I said I'd go on one trip. I'm now at 40 some trips somewhere. Uh, I primarily work uh, in Guatemala and in Malawi, Africa. Uh, and I've done some other side trips. I've been to Peru several times, uh, trying to get some works run in there. Uh, I went to Haiti just after the earthquake in 2010. Uh, I've been to Waveland, Mississippi, which was after Hurricane Katrina. Uh, see, what else we do? Uh, while we were residents in St. Louis, uh, we were talking about room at the end earlier, uh, our church in St. Louis, Here's Deanie in the back, uh, who actually we knew in St. Louis, uh, started a Room at the Inn St. Louis. Uh, and so I've had a lot of experience with different uh, poverty eradication or poverty support uh, programs. Uh, the only thing this really tells you is that I have had nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea on at least three different continents. Uh, and I have lots of airline miles. All right, number one, what is poverty? Anybody? H how do we define poverty? We'll go to the back, yes. Um, speaking extemporaneous, I think we define it as kind of what is not like us, is our first definition. That may not be a correct definition, but basically all of our viewpoints kind of centered on where we are and what we have, and that defines what is not enough and also what is too much. So, so poverty is by re less than what we are, which is not a bad definition. Anyone else have a definition of poverty or a thought about what poverty is or is not?
Right, living living below the mean is poverty. All right, so same thing. Yeah, Fred in the back. You mean de dependence? Dependence. So poverty is dependence. All right. So dependence, living below the mean, people living on less than us. Although with that definition, you you do have to realize like the rest of Nashville. If you live in Brentwood, the rest of Nashville is in poverty. And then by, the, by that definition, if you live in Belmead, Brentwood's in poverty. So I, but it, you, there is a, a large kernel of truth in that statement. Yes, I so saw someone raise a hand. Yes. I would say just kind of lacking an essential need. So I think sometimes we think of it almost monetary, but it could be, you know, all kinds of things, spiritual poverty or anything. Right, la lacking of what you need. Uh, I love this slide. Now, if you know me, you know I'm data driven. This is like the perfect slide because what we have on here is the entire world. Size of the circle is the number of people in your country. Uh, the color depends on where you're at. Red is uh, Asia, yellow is South America, uh, blue is Africa. Uh, Americas are, are that mustard color. You have uh, GDP per person, and you have uh, children dying before age five in live births, which is a measure of overall health of a society. Uh, and so when you, talk, when you ask the average person about poverty, you're going to get a slide that looks like this. And you can see uh, they divide into low-income countries, middle-income countries, high-income countries. And you see, by and large, as your income goes up, your uh, risk of dying before age five goes down. And these are also logarithmic, so it's not, it's not linear. Uh, and so part of when you talk about defining poverty, you get this. If you do this, or more importantly, uh, since we, we're Americans, we all talk about money, world incomes. Uh, you know, India, China, Brazil, Russia, the United States. Talking about uh, poverty, anyone that has less than you do is in poverty. Uh, here is the one, the first, this is the fifth percent United States, right here. By that definition, the entire, almost the entire world is underneath, is, is poverty relative to us. But when you talk about that, you, you really got to look at people's worldviews. Common misperceptions. Poverty is not only the lack of stuff. In reality, there's many, many types of poverty. When you, you hear the government talk about poverty, they're almost 100% of the time talking stuff. When you hear people in church talking about poverty, they may be talking about stuff, but they're almost always talking about evangelism and church. When you ask poor people about poverty, uh, the World Bank, uh, the World Bank basically loans countries money. And uh, it, it arised at the end of World War II uh, to rebuild Europe. 
And if you look at Europe, the World Bank thinks they did a great job in Europe because they have, in, they have schools, they have industry, uh, they have stability. Uh, they then went into Africa starting in the 1960s. They have been less than successful in redoing Africa. And so finally, after 25 years of dumping lots of money into Africa, they finally got around to doing what should be the first thing, which is ask the people, what is poverty? And then, so most of these uh, people they talked about came out of South America, uh, Lower Asia, which is India and Indonesia, and Africa. And they described their condition with words like shame, inferiority, I'm powerless, which I think Fred talked about that, uh, humiliation, fear, hopelessness, depression, social isolation, voicelessness. Almost none of that has anything to do with stuff. Now, they recognize the fact they don't have stuff. Uh, because when I go to Africa, they love my iPhone 5 or 6 uh, Plus. Uh, because A, they don't have it, and B, it's, it's like this little, the little icon here, this is like gold. I go, oh, is that an iPhone? I mean, and people coming out of the villages that don't have a car, that don't have running water, they recognize the Apple logo. And it's, it's really funny, yes? Uh, I'll answer that in just a second, but we'll, we'll talk about that. Because if stuff is the cure of poverty, the United States should have no poverty. Because we are, we are the home of stuff. Uh, you, I mean, you just go to any store, go, go to Dollar General, where everything's a buck, and look at the stuff they have there. Uh, we have lots of stuff. Stuff is not necessarily. So uh, a definition of poverty, which I think works really well, is poverty is the result of relationships that do not work, that are not just, that are not for life, that are not harmonious or enjoyable. Poverty is the absence of shalom in all its meaning. Poverty is broken relationships. Because if you look at the definition of poverty of just stuff, we should be spending 100% of our ministerial works overseas somewhere. We shouldn't be working in downtown Nashville. We shouldn't be working in Franklin. We shouldn't be working with stuff because there's plenty of stuff. But if poverty is the re result of broken relationships, then we have a better uh, framework in order to attack poverty. Types of relationships. Uh, in both the secular and biblical worldviews, you see poverty as broken relationships. The difference is where does God fit into this equation? Uh, there are four types of relationships, which four types of poverty, because you'll, you'll see this all the time. You'll see people that want to fix stuff, uh, souls for souls. You know, if you buy Tom's, buy a shoe, we're going to give a shoe. That, that's a, a stuff for stuff uh, ministry. Uh, all of us have met uh, missionaries whose job it is to evangelize the unsaved in some remote part of the world. Their entire job is to baptize people and teach them about God. 
there are people that uh, are all about the fourth one. Uh, broken relationship with self leads to knowledge and balance. Are all about educating people. Uh, in a lot of ways, you know, we were just talking about, we came in this morning about the Jesuits. Uh, that's kind of the Jesuit motto. They go create, every Catholic school you go to in the third world is a Jesuit school. They're about educating people. So the four types of relationships are, if you have a broken relationship between yourself and God, you have a type of spiritual poverty. Uh, if you have a broken relationship between self and others, that's power imbalance, that's social justice. You'll see people that want and demand social justice, and they want to fix this type of poverty or power, power imbalance. Uh, then back to the one that everyone talks about, if you have a broken relationship between yourself and creation, you've got material poverty. Because there are people that don't have stuff. And there are sometimes that stuff's necessary for life, i.e. water, shelter, food. Uh, and then there's uh, material poverty, like in the United States, where we have too much stuff. We're slaves to our stuff. That, that's a type of poverty as well, is that you spend all your time instead of having relationships with people, working for your stuff, keeping your stuff up. So that, that's actually a type of poverty. But the difference comes in how you view your relationship to the stuff, to the, everything else. A secular view of worldview of relationships, you have yourself in the middle, you have God, you have others, you have self, and you have creation. Uh, each relationship is independent of the other. You will see this over and over and over again of, I want to fix, uh, let's pick something. Uh, I, I want to fix uh, that the poor people don't, in the United States don't have a good auto mechanic. There are ministries out there that their entire job is fixing poor people's cars. That's not, I'm not saying that's bad, but if that's in isolation, if that's just creation, you, you feed into this where the, yourself is the middle, the center of the universe is yourself. It's all about me and how I relate to everything else. If you have this worldview, the secular view of poverty eradication looks like this. If my view is there's a broken relationship between myself and God, that's caused by sin. The way I treat that is I evangelize the people. If I have a broken relationship with myself, that's basically a lack of knowledge. What I do is I educate. If I have a broken relationship between myself and other people, that's oppression, then I go social justice. If I have a problem with self and creation, I have a lack of resources, that's material resources, is how I fix that. Uh, and so the underlying belief is you can fix each form of poverty, i.e. each broken relationship, on its own. You pick one and you fix it. That's a secular view of poverty eradication. The question is, has that worked very successfully? I think it fails, and a lot of people think it fails, because it treats the broken relationship as the cause. That's not the cause, that's a symptom. The reality, they're the symptoms of the problem, which is our fallen nature. It ignores that God has to be at the center of all relationships, not us. It's not about us, it's about God. 
an example. Why does the second, the great society, all the history majors, most of us, a lot of us, well, not all of us looking around the room, lived through, uh, were around it during Lyndon B. Johnson, great society. Uh, 1964 decided that he was going to fix, po eradicate poverty in America. Uh, and so they decided that the biggest problems were people weren't smart enough, they had poor schools, and they didn't have enough stuff. So since then to now, 1964, we have spent $22 trillion in the Great Society. If we meant to do what we do, it's successful if we wanted to do this. Single parents, 1964, babies born to single parents, 8% of the United States population. Today, 70%. School test scores are functionally unchanged since 1964. Uh, and more importantly, in 1964, they, they came up with the definition of poverty. Does anyone know how you define poverty according to the US government? I, I thought that too until I looked it up and realized in, in, in its knowledge, the United States government came up with this definition, 1964. Uh, one person came up with this definition, worked for the Department of Commerce. Uh, it was a lady who had a PhD and they assigned her the job of defined poverty. So what she did was went out and priced the amount of food that you need to take to feed a family for a week and she had a basket of food and said All right, well, however much that cost you should that should be about a third of your income so she set the bar three times higher than that basket in 1964 the United States government has not changed their definition of poverty or the way they calculate it since then so today they do exactly the same thing they go out and price the same exact items that she priced in 1964. Chicken, egg, steak, bread, uh, cooking oil, and say, what does that cost? And they said, all right, how much do you need for a family of four? Boom. Triple that. That is now the new definition of poverty. Whatever that amount of money is, is the definition of poverty. And so poverty in 1964 was 16%. Last year, it was 16.2% in the United States. So by any definition, the Great Society has not fixed poverty. In fact, we've gotten worse. We're 0.2% more, which is a lot of people in the United States. Same thing in Africa. Has African aid worked? Uh, let's fix, Africa's all about stuff. You know, it's, people don't have stuff there. Uh, so you can tell the difference in the United States how we like to treat us and how we treat other people. 64 to now, 22 trillion in the United States. 60, 1960 to 2015, only two trillion went to, to Africa, and that includes the Europeans. So we don't spend as much on others as we do ourselves. However, it's also a great another governmental program. Uh, the standard of living went down 0.59% annually in Africa from 1960 to 
30 or 35 percent or something like that. Like in other words, it may just be a, a correlation, but not necessarily a, a causation. Correlation, not causation. That, that that's true. Uh, there. There are, there's a lot of people who, are, who have that talk a lot about that is, did that prevent us from being at 40% poverty? Or is that actually causing some of the poverty? Uh, and and that, that's the squishy part of poverty eradication. Uh, I, I can tell you that I am 100% sure that they went about it the wrong way. Uh, they did not the government has stepped, if you look from 64 to now, government has stepped in a lot of areas where the church used to be. And that's where a lot of the problems have occurred because in just pr providing money without the structure to understand how to use the money or how to value the money or how to value people, uh, bad things occur. For the purpose of the course, this is what I call a biblical worldview of your relationships. God sits at the center, and your relationships flow through God because without God at the center, other people don't have any value. You talk about slavery, which is a hot topic now of slavery and its various things. If God does not sit, if God does not sit at the middle of our relationship, other people have no value. They're only valuable what they do for me. So, this is our worldview for this class of how you have relationships. It comes from me understanding my relationship with God, and through that relationship with God, I see the value of creation, which is stuff. I see the value of myself, which is education, and I look at the value of others, uh, which is uh, justice. Because if you look at worldview of poverty eradication this way, the you have to fix poverty through your relationship with God. You can't fix it independent of your relationship with God. Yes? So you move from a slide talking about the government specifically the U.S. government and how it's a right. You've gone to a biblical worldview where everything goes through God. Correct. Okay? And the system that we've got then, that means that the government we have cannot possibly use this worldview to address poverty. At the same time, they've got to do they, they can't just ignore it completely. And, and I, may, I may be looking too far ahead for what you're doing, and if I am, say, we'll get there eventually. Um, but how do, we, how, how do we get from what we believe is the way to, to address poverty, which cannot be handled by the government, mm -hmm. while at the same time recognizing that the government needs to be doing something even if what we're seeing is that it's not doing it effectively. Correct. We'll talk about that in, in a couple, three weeks, but that, that's a very good point. Is how Because part of poverty eradication is how do you get from where you're at now to where you think you need to be? And that's part of what we're going to talk about is how do you structure uh, 
outreaches or works and, and part of what this course is is talking about you have to start with you and each individual has to decide how am I going to relate and, and work in, in poverty eradication uh, because it's when we get to some of the biblical parts later on you'll see that it is the definition in the Old Testament and the New Testament of how you recognize Christians is how do they treat those who are disadvantaged and but you have to my point is you have to have this worldview moving forward otherwise you continue to do what we've done which as we know is the the definition of insanity right if you keep doing the same thing expect different results then you you're probably need to be institutionalized somewhere yes Do about about right, and thank you for that beautiful lead-in to write this. Well, as kind of a spoiler for, just so you're not having this question for the next three weeks. Inherent in your question was the idea that the government needs to be the one taking care of people. Well, no, no, the, but that the, gov that the government is going to feel like it has to because right. you don't want to you don't want to be the government and let right. all that happen. And uh, historically, which is what we'll look at, is the government hasn't always been a welfare state. It's right. was because historically the church was the one taking care of people, and it was only once the church lost that, dropped the ball, that the government picked it up. And so we'll sort of talk about how, you know, what the government can do is a Band-Aid, which we sort of see as maybe the Great Society, but because if you're not changing the heart of who the person is, the poverty is going to continue. Um, so that's our Christian calling to restore creation, uh, as to change the heart of the people. Otherwise, people will continue to hoard knowledge and power and resources. So if we're not going through God, then we're not changing the heart of the person and we're temporarily fixing a knowledge problem, a money problem, or a power problem, but the problem will not go away until we change the heart of the person. Yeah. Yeah. Fred. What I said is about kind of what you're trying to show here is your objective isn't necessarily to define the role of government. You're, you're focused on what our role is. And as I think about the history of Christendom, what it was birthed, government was anything but a government. It was a hard, oppressive, uh, unjust state. Well. Uh, today we find ourselves in a, in a welfare state. It, it seems that through history that is going to ebb and flow. What government will choose to do, how benevolent it may try to be, or how oppressive it may not be. But what I'm sensing from where you're going with this class is that's kind of an independent variable. What does the follower of Jesus, what are we called to try to do for those less fortunate? Exactly. When, when you look at, I'll give you two seconds. When you look at throughout the scripture, throughout the Old Testament, New Testament history, people don't get in to heaven, if you will, which is our ultimate goal. 
because we went to the right church. We had the right, if you look at the Old Testament, because they were all sons of Abraham, God tells you, you're not getting into heaven just because of that. He, he looks at you and says, what did you do in response to the grace that you received from me? So this class is about individual uh, response to poverty. How do, how do we as an individual, and then the next step up as we as Otter Creek, respond to the poverty as we see it? All right, one more. I, I mean, and, and, and that, 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 that is a true statement, but my response to that is, as Christians, we are not called to cure world poverty by myself, but I am called to cure my neighbor's problems. I mean, yeah, th think of the, uh, you know, the story of the Good Samaritans, it's, it's not, I, we're called to serve people one person at a time. There are, you know, in the, United, in the world today, Christianity is far and away the largest religion. So if each of us helps one person, uh, now I, I do understand math, each of us helps one person in a very short amount of time, we've pretty, help, pretty much helped everyone. Uh, and so part of that is what we're talking about in this class is what's our response uh, to this? And that's what I said. Uh, for this class, this is from God who reconciles to himself through Christ and gave our, us to the ministry of reconciliation. Uh, poverty alleviation, it's a ministry of reconciliation, moving people closer to glorifying God in the relationship with themselves, creation, and others. So at the heart of everything that we do, as we look at alleviating poverty, you have to, it has to include that. So you, you can't, my, point is that you can't eradicate poverty on an individual or societal level unless you do this through reconciliation. Because the reason that 
we have poverty is that we have a we live in a fallen world. I mean, if we lived all lived in Eden, we wouldn't have to worry about this. We just walk to the nearest tree, take what we want to eat, and we're good. Uh, but because it's a fallen world, you have to go back to the original problem, which it is a fallen world, and you have to reconcile people through that, and then through that, you can start working on a lot of these other issues. I mean, is there injustice in the world? Absolutely. Is there material disproportionate? Absolutely. Uh, do we have educational problems, knowledge disproportionate? Absolutely. In the United States, in Nashville, I mean, let's, let's make it smaller, in Nashville, do we have, in Williamson County, do we have distributions? Yeah. Look at Brentwood High, look at uh, Fairview High, and tell me those two are in the same county of the same schools. They're not. And so we have, our calling is that we have to reconcile people through God to all these problems. You cannot reconcile these problems with the absence of God. And that's part of my point with the Great Society in Africa Aid is a lot of that is given uh, a-religiously, meaning that you know we, we don't want religion involved at all, but when you do that, you just develop, lot, you just create more problems. You may solve your original problem, but you, may, you create new ones that are in fact larger than the thing you wanted to solve back in 1964. Right, I'd say that the counterpoint to what Richard said, which I think is true and I think it's what you're driving at, is that um, a government program cannot fix individuals and, and the losses that they feel and, and the behaviors that they need to change in order to become more reconciled. Uh, they can only hand out food, shelter, and clothing. Right, and, and there are some things that the government can do better than we can do because of scale. And the, the key is recognizing that, and then as a individuals and as a church, both church local and church corporate, uh, we have to recognize what is our role. And we also have to recognize the fact that we may have been uh, absent in some of these areas for a long, long time that we need to get involved in. All right, next week we're going to talk a little bit more about some structure of uh, poverty alleviation, kind of more, a little more technical structure part, and then uh, we're going to have some the people from room at the end the week after that, and then Rebecca's teaching the third, fourth week after that because I'm going to be in Guatemala. Uh, and then uh, any questions or comments in the, we've got about a minute left, I think. Speaking of the room in the end, um, irrespective of your, your view of this issue, Father uh, Strobel writes an interesting editorial about Insure Tennessee and the way some of these editorials today. Yes. Oh, this one? That one? Yes. That one. Um, I think that, you know, as individuals, and, you know, we're here, we're already in the church, so we're, we're, we're already, you know, aligning in this direction. And I think sort of what some of these other side discussions is that once we become involved in a bigger church, then we're not as much as the self, but the individual relationship. And you could say the same thing about when we just give the taxes to the government. And I 
would even go on and say, well, why don't we just talk about the corporation as well? Because it's not really a self, but it's the government, it's the corporation, the individuals in the church, the, the church, does it go through this God path to reach other self and creation? And sort of if they're not all going in the same direction, if they're maybe pulling in three different directions, then what are we going to accomplish? We're still going to just be the same band of individuals doing our things, and that's fine. I mean, hopefully we'll please God and make the world better through that somehow or another, but I mean, not all kind of God-centered, and maybe that's where the 1950s now argument is. Well, 1950s, look how Christian the United States was. It dominated every part of our culture. It dominated who the business magnates were back then, who the governmental leaders were, da-da-da-da. So, again, I don't have an answer for any of that, but yeah, it is. I mean, at the at the core of everything, it's an individual responsibility. I mean, when you look at the New Testament, we're going to stand in front of God, and He is not going to say, "Whose T-shirt are you wearing?" Oh, you got the OC on. You're good. Uh, he's going to look and say, "Let's open the Book of Life. Let's see what you did as an individual." Uh, you know, and the same thing. You know, there there will be people. Uh, you know, in all the churches that He's going to look and say, "You know, come on in." And there's going to be people that. Or in all the, the right churches, you can look at and go, eh, probably not. Uh, so, I mean, so at the base of all this is that it's an individual thing. And then we do have a responsibility, though, if, if we're a member of this church, that we have our voice heard that this church is going in the direction that it needs to go in. No church is perfect because we're made up, once again, of imperfect people because this is a fallen world. So we, you, you constantly have to have course corrections. You have people who sit down and say, what are we doing? Is it accomplishing what we thought it was? And if not, let's, let's relook at it and let's go the other direction. All right, I'll let all you guys go. If you want to talk, we can stay after.